0: Sahana Sahana Hu Hunatu Sahavi Yankarava Hai Pages Vina Vadita must toma with Vishava Let us read the verses from the beginning. Shri Bhagavan Vacher, Shri Bhagavani Vacher, Prahuravyayam, Ashvattham Prahuravyayam, Chandam siyasyaparane, Chandam siyasyaparane, Yastam Veda Saveda Vita Adhascha Ardham Prasritas Tasya Shakaha Arascha Santatani Karmanu Bandhini Manushya Loke Karmanu Bandhini Manushya Loke Naropamasye Hatathopalabhyate Naropamasye Chasam अश्वत्थामे suvirudhamulam सुवीरुधमोलम् अश्वत्थामे नम Chitva असंग चित्वा असंग शस्त्रेण चित्वा Vachadhyam Purusham Prabhadhyay. Purusham Prapadye Yattaf Pravrata Prasrata Purani. Yattaf Pravrata Prasrata Purani. Tattaf Padam Tat Parimar Yasmin Gataha Nani Bhutantiv Huyaha. Tataha, thereafter. Thereafter, as we said earlier, in the earlier verse, Asanga Drudhena Chitva. So, felling this people tree with the roots that are well developed. So, felling this tree of samsara with a strong and sharpened sword of detachment. Shankaraj explains here that Drudhena Paramatma Abhimukha Nischa Drudhi So, this weapon is hardened By this, by being directed towards the Paramatma. So, there are two aspects of a weapon. Number one, the sword must be hard, as well as the sword must be sharp. It must be first of all hardened, and then it must be sharpened. So, the mind that is directed towards Paramatma, the reason why we discover, the reason why there is necessity of discovering dispassion, Dispassion means objectivity, let us say. So when we hear the word vairagya and dispassion, then it looks like uh, something very difficult. But really vairagya or dispassion means objectivity. That is called objectivity when the mind is free from passion, that's all. A good example of objectivity is like a scientist is toward a specimen. Like a doctor is toward a patient, that's objectivity. But there's no involvement. A doctor also may not be objective when the patient happens to be relative to something. But suppose, one is not related in any way, then one is objective. As Swami was saying last, you know, or this morning also, there is some bereavement. and you go, how philosophical I become. I can advise when, when somebody is, you know, mourning the death of some near and dear one, then I can go and be a great philosopher. As to how it is like the train journey, and how we meet, and how we separate, you know. All of this, this is called objective, which means that I'm able to, uh, I'm able to appreciate that event without being involved. Not that I'm unconcerned, not that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm indifferent, no, I'm unattached. So unattachment or detachment does not mean lack of concern, does not mean lack of uh, care, even when they say that we may discover a sort of a detachment even towards our own family does not mean that we become indifferent to them does not mean that we become uh, unconcerned about them how we can how we can care so how we can care how we can show concern how we can do whatever is required with detachment without any kind of involvement without making any demands from that so what is called attachment is that my mind makes demands upon the world, that's all. When I want the world to be a given thing, I want generally the world to be agreeable to me. So whenever things are agreeable to me, then I'm happy. When things are not agreeable to me, I'm unhappy, thus I'm actually superimposing the idea of agreeability, disagreeability, anukulyam, pratikulyam, anukulyam, agreeability, pratikulyam, non-agreeability. So, that everything is fine as it is. This, uh, this vision is called Vairagya. Even to say that everything is in order. And therefore I do not make a demand that the world or the objects be different from what they are. When I am able, I am comfortable with the way things are. Put it this way. When I am comfortable with the way things are without demanding them to be different. Attachment is also a demand. Aversion also is a demand. In attachment, also there is a demand: the thing should remain agreeable to me. I want it to be agreeable to me. Aversion means I want to be away from. I want it to be away from me. When there is an attachment, I want the thing not to not to leave me. When there is an aversion, I do not want that thing to come to me. <clears throat> so now, world has its own way of moving. World has its own flaw. And if I can appreciate the flow and accept it as it is fine, but I want the flow to be different, please don't go. When I'm attached to something, I say, please don't go. Now it wants to go. When I have an average of something, don't come, it wants to come. So then I must prevent something from coming to me, I must prevent something from going away from me. There's a lot of struggle is there in trying to make things, I mean, behave in a way different from what is natural for them. When something comes, it has a nature to go away. When something is away, it has a nature to come. And I want the things to change their nature in order to become agreeable to me. Understand what's happening. How the attachment and aversions involve a lot of struggle on my part. And that's what keeps my mind away from myself. So when my mind becomes objective, that I am comfortable with the way things are, as Swami says, that best way to gain freedom is to give the world the freedom. So giving the freedom, I become free. Not giving freedom, I become bound. When I make demands upon things, that they should be like this and they should not be like that. Aversion means a demand, it should not be like this. Attachment is a demand, should be like this. Whatever. So when I make these demands, I do not give them freedom and then I am also not free. So vairagya dispassion means discovering a freedom. Not indifference but comfort. I can go to the external saying love, in fact. Love really becomes uh, mature when it is free from these attachments and aversion. So here is the person who loves the world. So he will do whatever he requires, whatever he can do without making any demands, ideally. So if ideally you are a dispassionate person, then you are able to love and give without making a demand. So, this passion is becoming a non-demanding person. Let us put it this way. To the extent that I can, I become a non-demanding person, which means I become an accepting person. An accepting person is the one who doesn't demand that the other thing or the person should change. That's all vairagya means. You know, what it does is, it makes me comfortable with the world and comfortable with myself. And then alone my mind can abide in myself Otherwise, if I'm not comfortable, my mind will keep on running there to try to make it comfortable. You see, when I'm not comfortable with something, the mind has a tendency to always think about it and what to do so it becomes comfortable. And therefore dispassion means discovering comfort with the way things are. Then my mind will not be worried about them, will not be concerned about them, will not be anxious about them. Then I have a freedom to call my mind and focus its attention where I want, so, Paramatma Abhimukhi Karanam, in order that my mind can be directed towards Paramatma or the Self of the Atma, it is necessary that it should become free from its preoccupation with this world and that is called Vairagya. So, this Vairagya comes by knowing the world properly. That is why Lord Krishna presented this samsara in the form of a tree, so that you understand the samsara for what it is. I have an unnecessary fascination. That's why I'm attracted to things when they are not to deliver what I, dema- what I expect from them. And then there's a lot of disappointment in life. Therefore, first and last... Aparavidya. Drevidya veritavya parachaiva aparacha. First Lord Krishna talked about aparavidya. The no- inferior knowledge. The knowledge pertaining to the world so that the mind can discover vairagya or dispassion. A freedom from... False attachment, freedom from Shobhana Adhyasa or freedom from looking upon, being having a fascination for the things, looking upon them for things that, for what it does not have. Tataha thereafter. Now I am ready for sannyasa. So when Vairagya is there, one is ready for sannyasa. Because I need not, I don't need to do anything now. As far as, I don't need to do anything as far as my worldly activities are concerned because I have nothing to achieve and nothing to, nothing to accomplish. So this is the point where a person is ready for what we call karma sannyas or renunciation of action. Then alone it is possible to go to the teacher. At least in those days. In those days teachers were in such remote locations that in order to go and live for twelve years, imagine, you have to sort of, close the shop here, wind up things here, then alone you can go there. So, going to the teacher always amounted to uh, sannyasa. It doesn't have to be now like that, but then that is how it was. That going to the teacher means sannyasa. That means giving up all the connections with the, all your responsibilities and claims. Sannyasa means, I give up my responsibility as well as I give up my claims. If I have a claim, then also I am connected. If I have a responsibility, then also I am connected. I'll be worried there and I'll be guilty. And if I have a claim, then also I am connected. Connect, connected. What will happen to the property and things like that? So both are given up. That's That means the mind is free. Free to devote itself to what it is to do. Namely, pursuit of knowledge then that father, that abode, that state or that truth must be investigated into, must be inquired into. Gataha hai, reaching where one does not return. There is no going involved here. In fact, what is involved is knowing. And very often, therefore, the verbs of movement or verbs of motion are interpreted to mean knowledge. Gataha, having gone where? Meaning having known which? Nani vartandi Then they do not return. They do not return to this life of struggle, life of conflict. They return to the life all right. It is not that these wise people do not return to the life. But not that life of struggle and conflict. Because all the struggle and conflict is from ignorance. To act is fine and to do interact with the world, everything is fine. But when any interaction causes any stresses in me, causes anxieties and worries and reactions and hurts and guilt, that part is called samsala. And that is what we call the subjective projection. And one becomes totally free from that by the knowledge. By knowledge of the things as they are. By knowing that whatever is, is fine. Call it whatever is, is Brahman. Whatever is, is God. Whatever is, his order. Whatever, and that order is nothing but my own self. Thus, this knowledge makes me totally, Formerly, I was relatively comfortable. See, vairāgya, dispersion is not perfect. Until the knowledge takes place, the dispersion cannot be complete. But I am relatively comfortable by what we call viveka or discriminative understanding. But then, by ultimate viveka of the atma viveka, the viveka discrimination between self and non-self. Oh, when I understand everything, nothing but the self, then my vairāgya becomes Absolute. I'm totally comfortable. <coughs> a totally non-demanding person. And that is the person who is most fit to serve, really. <coughs> who can serve? Somebody. One who doesn't make any demands. Otherwise, today I serve all right, but inside there is always some kind of a demand. That I wish I am doing this, I may not expressly say that, but I wish that some kind of a favor is returned to me. That kind of the rajas is there, rajas. So, either I give because there is some pratyupakara, there is is some expectation of a return of favor, or I give because God make note of that, that I am giving this so that I get my place in the heavens, or whatever it is that I want. Or, or I give, but with a sense of loss, that I had to give. So usually my giving is like this. But then the giving becomes true giving. That I should give, it is my pleasure to give. Without any upakara, without a return of favor I give, because giving itself is a reward, and therefore there is no further reward required. They say, Patra, I become a sensitive person. At the right time, in the right place, to the right person, what is right is given. So, wise man does work, interact with the world in this way. And so, uh, so, they re- not returning is not also not a, that they do not return is also not an action. There is also knowledge. They do not return to the life of conflict and struggle which is, which is, which is arising from duality. When I look upon something as different from me, there is going to be a struggle. There is going to be some stress. He realizes that everything is nothing but the manifestation of his own self and therefore there is total freedom from every struggle. That is called, nani vartante, they do not return. Tameva purusham prasada purane. And to gain that knowledge, Lord Krishna says, what is he means? The surrender, the bhakti, the devotion of the means. Adyam purusham. Adyam is this, this primeval person. We said the very source. Brahman is the very source of everything. And therefore, I surrender myself to Brahman, to God, who is the source of everything. That means rather than focus, so far I was preoccupied with the tree, and now I take refuge under the root of the tree. So far the tree was real for me, the, the world is real, I realized that no, world is because of something else. And that is God, that is Brahman, that is Adiṣṭhānam, and that is where I take the refuge. So shifting the refuge from world to the cause of the world, that's all. I need refuge anyway. So today also I take refuge into money and refuge of love, things I take. So my bank balance is my great refuge so that when I retire and so will be fine then my family and children are there so that when I grow old, I will be taken care of. So, refuge. Who will take care of me? Here, I take refuge into Lord. He takes care of me. He is my goal. As Lord Krishna said earlier, devan devaya joyanti mad bhakta hayanti, mamapi Those who worship the gods, they become the gods. Those who worship me, become me. And so, whatever it is that I worship is what I am taken refuge of. What is it that is my goal? I say, whatever it is that I look upon as my goal at any time, I am surrendered to that. When God becomes my goal, I am surrendered to that. So surrendering God ultimately means that, becoming that, becoming my goal. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. I do not reach, I do not approach God for something. I approach God for the sake of God himself. Tesham satadevaktanam bhajatam priti purvakam. Lord Krishna says when I see my devotees that they are worshipping me for the love of me. Otherwise I go to God and ask something. Please give me this. That means I love that thing. And God just becomes uh, incidental. There's nothing wrong in that. But we are talking about a a mature devotee here. There are devotees of different class. There are devotees who approach the Lord because they are in great diet, difficulty, distress and they want to be release from the distress, it's fine. Or devotees, reach, I mean, approach God because they want some favor. That also is fine. But then, when I go to God for some fa- seeking some favor, that I want wealth, I want something like that, that means that, that wealth is more important to me than God. God doesn't mind that, he see, I when somebody comes to me and I feel that something else is more important to that person than me, then I become turned off. I get turned off. When somebody comes to me, I must be the most important. To Lord it doesn't matter. He's okay. You think that is more important than me? Doesn't matter. I'll give you that. In whichever way they approach me, Whatever prayers they make to me, I fulfill those prayers. How large-hearted he must be Imagine, you know? What large-heartedness there must be? He doesn't mind. (coughs) Always smiling. (coughs) But it is up to us to have that intelligence to, to know what to ask of him. And Lord says that, if you ask of me, I'll give you myself. So that is called... Tameva chadyam purusham prapadye, That purusham, that purodom, the being who is whole, complete, that fills up everything, that pervades everything. Prapadye, I take refuge effusion to him. Purani, who is the source of all this pragurthi? Who is the source of all this activity? Who is the source of the whole creation? Who is the cause of the creation? <coughs> so, surrender. Lord Krishna talks about it. Bhakti, devotion, which involves surrender to the Lord, which of course calls for Shraddha or faith. All of these Lord Krishna talks about. Shraddhavan, nabhathegnaanam. So when one is Shraddha, then one gains knowledge. dharman parityajya, maamekam, Give up all other pursuits and take refuge in to me. it's not some guy, he's not talking as a person. He's talking as the, is a very Lord, the infinite, the limitless. So, hey Arjuna, in fact, you have the potential of achieving limitless in your life. Why should you settle for anything limited? So that's where the desire comes. When my mind keeps on making desires, that means that I am desiring small things. I ask my mind, why do you desire small things? Why do you want these little things? Why do you want God? Why don't you desire for God? If you desire him badly, you will get him. Swami doesn't come because I don't desire him badly. As Swami says, you know, he wants moksha as well as helicopter. (laughs) Helicopter stands for all material achievements. So, that I want, that I want to keep intact. Swami, my life must be like this, it must have discomfort, it must have this, and then also, uh, on the side, I do other things too, which is also okay, nothing wrong in it ultimately as we say the mature devotion is where to this devotee all that is important is god and nothing else that is also only discriminate, that only makes sense that is all, that also comes as a of understanding what it is that i'm seeking <coughs> who can gain who can gain this knowledge in the fifth verse lord krishna talks about the adhikaritma okay. Who are the people who can reach that abode? So fifth verse tells us that. Mm-hmm. Nirmāna mōhā jita-saṅga-doṣāha Nirmāna mōhā jita-saṅga-doṣāha Adhyātma nityāvinivruttakāmāha Adhyātma nityāvinivruttakāmāha Dvandvair vimukta sukhaduk kasanye Dvandvair vimukta sukhaduk kasanye Gachantya mudha padam avyayantada Gachantya padam padam avyayantada The last words Gachanti amudaha padam avyayantada Amudaha tad avyayam padam (coughs) gachanti Amudhaha Those who are free from moha. Moodha. Moodha means one who is under the spell of moha or delusion. Amudha. One who has become free from delusion. You know yesterday we talked about this ignorance bringing about adhyasa or superimposition. We said that ignorance has these two aspects. Avaranam that it hides or veils, it veils the true nature of the thing and Vikshepa it creates a projection. Like in the rope snake example, that there is avaranam, there is ignorance of rope and vikshepa projection of the snake. So that is called moha. Projection is called moha. Taking one thing to be different from what it is. In this case what is moha? Taking this body mind complex itself, the that's a moha. So when I do not know the true nature of myself, then I take what I am not to be myself. And I take this body-mind complex to be myself. That's called moha. So when I do not know the reality of myself, I take this body-mind complex as myself. When I do not know the reality of the world, I do not know the world is mitya. Therefore I take the world as satyam. That is also called moha. The superimposing anātma, ātma upon anātma, vice versa, there is moha. And giving world a reality which it doesn't have, that is also called moha. <clears throat> so amūdha, the people, wise people, become free from both this moha, become from, free from both these projections, become free from projection about oneself. So no more I look upon myself as a body or the mind or intellect, No more I look upon myself as a limited individual, I discover myself to be brahman. That padam, that padam means brahman. To discover brahman, or the limitless is my own self. To see the world also is nothing but the manifestation of same limitless. That is also called knowledge. So knowledge is both these aspects. Not only do I know the self is brahman, but I know myself as the self of all. I know everything as brahman. If some people ask this question, Swamiji, but you say that I am I am Brahman, suppose I get that knowledge, will I not become proud? Will this knowledge not create ego? So very often this question is asked. It will not create ego if it is true knowledge, because when I know myself as Brahman, I know everything as Brahman. See, ego or pride can be created when I think I am superior, I am Brahman, everything else is nothing, you know, then it's okay. But certainly I do not know what Brahman is. When I know myself as Brahman, I know everything is Brahman. Then there is no superiority, no inferiority. Says Chayampurusha, Yascha Saekaha. Upanishad says, that which is the truth of this individual and that which is the truth of the total is one alone. It's one Brahman that alone with this upadi takes a role. Of, of a jiva. So, it, it only manifests as jiva with reference to a given upadi, manifests as ishwara with reference to the total upadi. So, this knowledge dispels ignorance and dispels all the projections, misconceptions, complexes born of ignorance. That's called Amudaha. These people are Amudhaha. Those are free from moha, free from delusion, born of ignorance, free from all complexes. <coughs> free from all projections. Tat avyayam padam gachanti So these are the people, the wise people are those who reach that avyayam padam, the padam or the state, undecaying state, imperishable state, changeless, limitless. So they achieve that limitless. That means they know the limitless as a self. There's no achievement again, but still, gachanti so again and again, these verbs of motion are used here. Tat padam They reach that state. Again, translate the motion of verb as a, mo- as a ver- verb of motion as verb of knowledge. So, not that they reach that state, they know that state. And the knowledge calls for a certain amount of preparation, preparedness. It's called adhikaritvam. Adhikari, adhikara. Adhikāri. Adhikāri is the one who has the adhikāra. <coughs> adhikāra means fitness. Adhikāri, one, one who is fit. Adhikāritvam, the state of being fit. Adhikāra, fitness. Adhikāri, one who is fit. Adhikāritvam, the state of one being fit. So I must gain that adhikāritvam, I must gain the state of being a fit person prepared person. So every time this is always to be mentioned. Scriptures always make it a point to mention the preparation or preparedness or fitness. They call it sometimes sadhana, chatushtaya, sampati, the inner wealth or what you call emotional maturity. So in one way, one way or the other this preparation must be mentioned because otherwise the scriptures will lose their authority or their pramanyam. The words of the scriptures can become pramana means of knowledge only when the mind is prepared, not otherwise. And so what Lord Krishna is going to teach in the subsequent verses also will become meaningful to me when my mind is prepared. And therefore, Lord Krishna makes it a point to tell us what kind of preparation is needed. Nirmana mohaha Free from mana and moha People, mana, mana means pride. Moha means projection. <coughs> pride. There is, I have a pride. <coughs> Whatever. Pride with that I am a learned person. Pride that I am a wealthy person. Pride, pride because of my achievements. <coughs> so mana, mana means, mana means to measure. The word mana, is made of the, the rational root ma in the sense of measuring. When I measure myself, that is called manam. Manam means measure. Atma is me- immeasurable, really. Self is immeasurable, is it not? Beyond all measure? Self is beyond all measure, beyond all limits. But when I measure myself, when do I measure myself? Whenever I identify myself with this body-mind complex, then I become of the same dimension as this body. How, how big I am or how far I am as far as this upadhi is. That means atma has been reduced now to the, to the, the, the dimension of this upadhi, body-mind complex. That's called And that crosses all the pride. In fact, only a small little individual can be proud. A great one can never be proud. A small one can be proud. Because there is a pride also is a need on my part to feel that I am alright. I feel proud in order to feel that I am okay, I am better than that fellow. I am something. Because there is a need on my part to feel that I am something. Because then alone I can become acceptable to myself, otherwise I cannot become acceptable to myself. You know the sense of smallness what it does to me. When ignorance causes in me a sense of limitation, a sense of smallness, What it also does is, that it creates a self non-acceptance, that I'm not happy with myself. I can never be happy with myself being a small or limited being, never. I'm not happy with myself, not satisfied with myself, never. There is a constant current of what we call self non-acceptance. So there is a tremendous need on my part to feel that I'm all right, because my conclusion is that I'm not all right. So pride is one of those mechanisms which makes me feel that I'm all right. So I compare myself with others. I feel that I'm more learned than others, I feel proud. I feel that I'm more powerful than others, I feel proud. I feel that I'm wealthier than others, I feel proud. I feel I'm more accomplished than others, I feel proud. I feel that I'm born in a greater, in a more noble family than somebody else, proud. And whatever it is. So. One day I was pride from all of this. Just because I feel hollow inside, normally, but all of these are the crutches which are necessary for me to make me feel good about myself. So pride. Nirman, Mohaha, those people are free from pride. The pride comes when I identify myself with Upadi. And thus, when I realize that upazi I am not. Or also, as we said, even this... The accomplish, why? How can I be prideful about certain accomplishment when I look upon myself as the author? When I look at the realities of life, I feel proud that I'm a, I'm a wealthy person, a successful person. That is because I look upon myself as author of that success. But when I look at the realities of life, then I realize that success comes because of the favor that I get from so many factors. But Swami, it is my intelligence. I did this, I thought of this, it's my idea. But even that capacity, the intelligence also is given to me. So, skills are also given to me, the capacities are given to me, the intelligence is given to me, everything is given to me. So, when I recognize the realities of life, there cannot be pride, there can only, what we call, humility. So, these people were humble, humility comes when I recognize the reality of life, and from this mahankara comes mamakara. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. That's called moha here. So those people are free from pride as well as the sense of ownership. That this is mine. This is mine. Nothing thing belongs to me. I'm the. I happen to be the possessor of that. It happens. It happens to be with me right now, which is fine. I can enjoy it. But then I'm not the owner of anything. So. Nirmoha means the one who is free from the sense of ownership. <coughs> Nirmanamoha Jita Sangha Dosha. Who have conquered the evil of association. Look at that. Evil of association. Sangha means association. Dosha means evil. Jita means conquered. Jita Sangha Dosha. Those who have conquered the evil of association. How do you conquer evil of association? By not associating anything. That's the reason why people go away from all associations. Swami, when I am at home, then this disturbance happen. When I am work, then this disturbance has happened. When I am in the marketplace, this, when I go to store, then this kind of attractions happen. And so I find that when I am in the midst of things and beings, then I am impacted by them. And therefore, they either create in me a sense of superior to inferior, something or other that is created in me. Or they create in me a sense of, uh, you know, that I want to enjoy them. They create in me what we call bhoga So generally when I'm in the midst of the things, then they manage to impact me by creating some kind of reaction in me that I I want them, I want to get rid of them. So that is called the dosha of the association. Or I come under influence of this association. They say, as a sangha, as the Sangha or as the association, so the Ranga means color of the mind. Our mind gets colored by the association. jita sangha those people who maintain a, a voice of the mind, a control of the mind, in spite of being associated with different things, <coughs> In short, when I am in association with something that is desirable, then there is a, there is a desire, there is a like. When I am associated with something undesirable, there is an aversion. So jita sangya free from the impact of the things around me, I can maintain the poise or balance of my mind in, in, in association with the things that may be agreeable or disagreeable. As Swami was saying the other day, you know, like while traveling the aeroplane, and here is somebody passenger sitting beside you. And well he orders his own food. So he has perhaps chicken or fish or whatever it is that he's is eating. And generally some smell also is associated with that food. That's With every food some smell is associated. Somebody calls it fragrance, somebody calls it sting, whatever it is. And I'm sitting right beside that. And I I remember that many years ago I mean I I would I would feel nauseated, you know, when somebody eats, not only that kind of food, when somebody eats in a manner which is also not right because people eat differently in India. (laughs) Different people have different ways of eating also. So, when you go to North India, they eat food in one way, when you go to South India, they eat the food in another way. So when in South India they eat rice, for example, they have their own way of enjoying rice, you know. They take the rice and then make sure that the buttermilk is proper, you know. (laughs) And then they like to eat with their palm. We were always brought up to eat only with fingers. Such an extent that beyond this second line, you know, the finger also should not be soiled. If you mess up your hand, then you'll be scolded. This south, that is one way of eating. On the other hand, the other way of eating is that you use your whole palm, a whole hand, and eat that rice. And, and food. because they are very simple people in South India, all they have is a leaf. In India, only you know. So in 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 Gujarat also, uh, when they eat any 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 soup and things like like dal, so how There are no spoons. You have a leaf plate and leaf bowl. So how do you eat? Either they will take it and and drink it directly, or they will make a little spoon out of their own finger and then that's how they will take it. So people are different. Oh, in South India they will take like, That's what they Different ways of doing things. Not only that but sometimes it will also flow down. They- so Swami so just look, see. When we were sitting on the table once, Swamiji was, our Swami was there, I was there, somebody else was there, and he was eating. See, he's eating traditionally, Swami tells me, you know. <laughs> that is true. It's fine. What there are different ways. But then sometimes you have difficulty with that, you know. If somebody has uh, the, the hair green, then you feel uncomfortable. I don't know why you should do it somehow. Similarly, when somebody eats in a certain way, I mean, you know, eats certain kind of things, and eat in a you know, there that that is the food must be treated in a certain way. Sometimes people don't do that. They just leave it, you know, a lot of food is left over and then, there are different things people do with the food. And sometimes you feel something inside. The idea is that when you are in the soul, something that is not quite, that does not meet with your standards or your expectations, then something happens to you. On the other hand, when somebody eats something which is very attractive, then all something happens to you. When my mouth starts watering. So association creates in me either some kind of a sense of aversion or creates in me some kind of an attraction. Now idea is that whenever my mind is subject to being impacted like this, then I cannot enjoy. Idea is that I should enjoy a mind that is free. I should have the freedom to be able to apply my mind to the contemplation of oneself whenever I want. And I don't have the freedom if my mind is impacted by all these different things. Jita Sangha Dosha Those who have become free from the dosha or the defect or the evil of association. Regardless whether association is agreeable or disagreeable. Those who can maintain a poise of their mind. <coughs> Adhyatma Nityaha Who are ever devoted to spirituality. Adhyatma Nityaha Adhyatma Atmana madhikrutya vartate Adhyatma means pertaining to the self. So Adhyatma, Nityaha, those who are devoted to Nityaha. Nitya means all the time. Those who are all the time devoted to the pursuit of self-knowledge. This is what it means. Or Adhyatma, spirituality. That like those who are devoted to a spiritual life. Or those who are devoted to the pursuit of knowledge. Depends on where they are. If you are talking about a householder, then we should say that the one who is devoted to a life of spiritual growth. And so the day-to-day activities that you perform, which are required to perform because they are the duty, or that is what is expected out of me, all right, fine. I perform those day-to-day activities also in the spirit of worship. That means my life becomes yoga. On the other hand, when somebody has taken up to the life of pursuit of knowledge, adhyātmanitya, one who is all the time devoted to pursuit of knowledge. Saravanam, manam, And all the time seeking to cultivate these qualifications. So the only priority is, is, is knowledge. Is, is self-growth. Is self-perfection. Adhyatma <coughs> In that reference of saying yesterday, Swami, we have a study group. I said, yeah, how many times do you meet? So once in a month? Or twice a month? Four times a month, it's all fine. What Lord Krishna ultimately prescribes is Doing it all the time. Of course, that is not possible in in the working life. But the idea is that at least, not only our time goes in our our professional activities. A well, lot of time goes in other things. So many, after all, in the household life, you know, there are guests are there and then we have to go for the wedding and we have to go for this. And most of the time goes in those kind of activities. So, all I can say is, we can choose the activities that are absolutely necessary and then cut whatever we can so that more and more time is available for this. That's all we can say. Is that time is very precious. And uh, we will do it after... In India, people think that all this will be done after retirement. So I many right now, it is too early. And so, uh, we, will, we will do this after retirement. Except that they think that studying Bhagavad Gita means doing nothing, you know. It doesn't require any, it doesn't require any kind of sharpness, or doesn't require any kind of a, a healthy attitude, or healthy even the health of the body. They think anybody can do that. Who has nothing else to do, that alone does this. so that's not so. So, that, that's the priority in our life, that this is something most important in my life. The other things I do, normally this is done when nothing else is to be done. Then this, then this kind of thing gets its place. Or it, this poor thing has an opportunity or a chance in my life when I have nothing else to do. So, weekend classes here, which are twice a month, that's all. Twice a month. There also, Swami is so difficult to come every time, you know. Twice a month is what? One month has 106, how many hours? Uh, uh, one week actually has 168 hours, one month has like uh, 700 hours or something like that, of that twice a month. But it is so difficult, because there are so many things to be done. Which is alright, I am not grudging that I am pointing out is, when Lord Krishna, Adhyatma that means that this has the most priority. So what is it, I look upon my life as what? As a process of growth, that's all. That at least my life should become a process of self-growth. That whatever I do should become a means of leading me to my objective. That I should not squander away anything else, you know, in, any, in that activity. If I have to do that activity, that also is done as a means of this only. So how I can convert every activity to yoga? Every activity is a means of worship. Every activity is an offering in every activity I can remember I can associate that with Lord anyway adhyatma nityaha kamaha those are completely free from desire freedom from desire comes only when I understand the desire behind all the desires. It is not that the freedom from desire comes. it says the desires get converted. Vedanta does not ask us to give up the desires. Vedanta asks us to understand the desires. Understand what is the desire behind the desire. So when I analyze any desire, I will realize that every desire is a desire to become for freedom of some kind. Whenever my mind wants something, it's always because it wants some freedom. Even when I want a motor car, I want freedom, so that I can free to go where I want to go, whenever I want to go. I want a home, then also I want freedom, because I only need some privacy. When I want wealth, I need freedom, because I want some security. So when I feel insecure, when I feel that I don't have enough privacy, when I feel that I don't have enough freedom, then I am seeking freedom. So understand that every desire, desire behind every desire is for freedom. And when I understand that I am seeking freedom, not just ordinary freedom, but I am seeking unconditional freedom. So really every desire is nothing but a manifestation of the fundamental desire of seeking unconditional freedom. which is called moksha. Just to understand every desire, that behind every desire, there is desire for moksha let's understand that much. Then do whatever you want to do with that desire. At least take that much time to ask this question. My my mind says, Hey, I want this thing. Alright. For what? So that I will have this comfort. For what? So that I will have this freedom. So it is for freedom. Then, can that thing give me freedom? Then I remind my mind, understand, the freedom that you are seeking can only come from your knowledge, knowledge of yourself, and nothing else. And thus, Slowly slowly transforming the desires into desire for moksha. Mind never becomes free from desire. When they say, make the mind free from desire, it means make the mind free from desire of the worldly things. So that the desire gets transformed into desire for the self, desire for moksha. And moksha is desire for self-knowledge. So, every desire. Even when I fulfill the desire, I fulfill it because fulfillment of desire will in some way or other contribute to my pursuit of moksha. That also is fine. But let us say that I never lose track of this. never lose track of what it is that I am seeking. Just as when I leave home to go to a certain destination when I am driving, I never lose track of the destination. I may be listening to my stereo in the car, I may be talking on the telephone, I may be talking with the people, all kinds of things I may be doing. But one corner of my mind is always is always uh, alert, aware, full of the destination. Therefore, I make the right turns. The fact that I take the right road, I take the right exits and right entries, and everything right I do and reach my destination means that one part of my mind was all the time aware of the destination. Similarly, also a part of my mind always remains aware of my ultimate destination in life. So that every turn that I make becomes a means of reaching the destination. Otherwise I may just go anywhere. I never reach destination. Similarly also, whatever choice I make in my life is always done with reference to that goal. And accordingly, every choice can become a means of reaching me, taking me to the ultimate goal. That is Vinibhutta (inaudible) Kama. vimuktaha sukha dukha Free from dvandva the dualities of happiness and sorrow pleasure and pain honor and dishonor happiness and sorrow so those are free from impact of this dvandva impact of this pairs of opposites and this we have discussed a number of times how the universe the world consists of dvandva pairs of opposites now there is honor then there is dishonor now there is comfort then discomfort. Now there is pleasure, then there is pain. So this is how it things keep on alternating. And usually my response is one of elation and depression. When things are agreeable to me, elated. Disagreeable, depressed. So dwandvehi vimuktaha the one who is free from the reactions of harsha and choka, of elation and depression. And when this happens, when I'm able to see everything as prasada, as nothing but the prasada, a gift of God. The honor, thank you, Lord. Dishonor, can I say thank you? If I can say, then that's called prasada Not just say, not just giving lip service, but when I feel that, oh, that also is fine. That also is an honor. That also has something to... So, if I know this, that honor comes to me just to encourage me, and dishonor comes to me to make me grow. That's all. Happiness comes to encourage me so that I don't get frustrated. Unhappiness comes to help me to learn and grow. And if this is my attitude, then everything is fine. Everything is gift of Lord. Then I do not react. So I... So, enjoying a non-reacting mind. So these people, when they are exposed to the teaching, when they are taught by the teacher tattva it just goes home. Gachandi amuraha, padam avyayam, tata. These people, who are those prepared in this manner, become amuraha, they gain the knowledge, become free from ignorance, become free from the projections or delusions born of ignorance, and ultimately they reach that padam, they reach that limitless. reach their own self, or know their own self as a limitless. <coughs> What's the nature of that self that they reach? That padam, padam is an abode. That they reach, what is the nature of that? Lord Krishna explains that in the sixth verse. Na tad bhasayate surya, na tad bhasayate surya, na shashanko na pavakaha, na shashanko na pavakaha yad gatvāna nivartante yad gatvāna nivartante tad paramam dhāma paramam, mama, dhāma paramam <coughs> the last words tad paramamama, paramam dhāma tad mama paramam dhāma tad means that mamamayam paramam supreme or ultimate dhāma the word dhāma is translated as abode. The word dhāma has other meaning also. dhāma also means light. So, Lord Krishna uses the word dhāma. The word is dhāman, of which that is the nominative singular is dhāma. That means abode also, at the same time it also means light. Which means that Lord Krishna says that my abode, my abode means for my nature. So, earlier it was said that they reach me. Amuraha padam tata, yad gatva yasmin gataha Reaching where they do not return again. That is my abode. But what is the nature of my abode? It's not a place. My abode is of the nature of light, of the nature of awareness, of the nature of knowledge, of the nature of awareness. So, dharma also means light. Here it means the light of awareness, which is the truth of everything. Which is the truth of myself, and that is the truth of everything, and that is everything. It is awareness or intelligence, awareness or intelligence alone that is, that is, whatever that is. So whatever it is, nothing but asti, bhati, priyam. Asti means existence, bhati means awareness, priyam means happiness. So existence, awareness, happiness, whatever it is, I, Am I a manifestation of the existence, awareness, happiness? The whole universe also is a manifestation of the same asti bhadi priyam. Or that is satchit ananda. So that is called the abode. Abode means the swarupa, means the very nature of the Lord. And that is satchit ananda. That ananda, that happiness, that there is. Which, what kind of happiness? That which is sad or undecaying happiness there is. How can it be undecaying? Only when it is uncreated. The uncreated, always obtaining. So, nirnamittam, that which is unconditional, uncreated, that happiness or fullness they reach as their own self. paramam mama. No, Lord Krishna says, what's the nature of the self? How do I know that self? Lord Krishna says, natad deya sūryaḥ." The sun does not illumine that. My abode with the self, the sun cannot illumine that. Na shashanka means moon. You know how the word Shashanka comes? You know what is Shasha? Shasha means a rabbit. So moon you say to a rabbit in there, you know. In the moon there is a little rabbit. So Anka. Anka means one who has in his lap. So one with a rabbit in his lap. That's the Shashanka. That's the moon. So anyway moon has many names. One of them is Shashanka. Even moon also does not eliminate that. Na pāvakah, pavak means fire. Pavaka means one who purifies. Fire is said to purify everything. He sometimes asks this question, Swami, how come when the Swamis come, then they, uh, we should always use the metal uh, plate and you know, uh, why, why can't they eat in this uh, China? Why can't they eat in the conventional things? I said they can eat in anything, but then this was a tradition. In the olden days, this tradition must have been there in the very olden days, when they were perhaps using clay pots and clay plates to eat, either either leaf plates or vessels made of clay. The thing is that whenever you offer a vessel or anything to the Swami, it must be that which must be either new or it must be that which is sanctified or purified. How do you purify things? By subjecting them to fire. But a clay vessel does not get purified by fire, and therefore, because it will break. And therefore, perhaps in the olden days, they would have a metal tumbler, a metal plate, metal things, which they would actually heat in fire, and thus that becomes pure. Then alone it can be offered. So, fire is called power, one who purifies, one who sanctifies. I think that's how the tradition has come down to us, but even today also. Because the plates are the China plates, you know, and water, they're still clay. What we use is still clay. And supposedly clay cannot be purified in fire. And therefore, we use this. Today, perhaps it may be easier to purify than to purify the metal plates. I do not know. But anyway, the reason why the custom of always using this metal plates, etc., in case of the sannyasis comes, perhaps from this kind of the tradition that there was. But anyway, pavaka means fire. The fire also does not illuminate that. These are the conventional sources of the luminaries. They illumine everything in the world. There is a very famous dialogue in Pruhadarannika Upanishad, a dialogue between King Janaka and say Jagna That dialogue is called Jyotir Brahmanam. It's Brahman means a particular section. Jyotir Brahmanam, where Sai Jagnyavalkya reveals the Jyoti, that Atma is the nature of Jyoti or self-effulgent. That Atma is self-effulgent, self-revealing. And to, and to uh, explain or expound that the self is self-effulgent or self-living, Prakasa, this explanation takes place in the form of a dialogue when King Janaka asks Sai Jagnyavalkya, Kim Jyotirayam Purusha Yagni Valkya He Yagni What is that light by which this person does all his Vyavahara? He does all the activities in what light? Then Sage Yagni says, It is the light of sun Adityena Jyotisha I am Aste Palyate Karma Kurude Vipalyate He is a king. He's Samrat, own oh, emperor, look. It is by the light of sun that this people sits in his home, where he goes out, performs different chores, where he comes back. All this behaviour is done in the light of sun. So sun is the light. Then, uh, so that's right, that is true. Then he thinks, but then Asthamitay Aditya Yajnavalkya Kim Jyoty Ram Purusha But when the sun sets then what? Then what is it that illumines this person? Then say Valkya says, it is Chandramaha, it is the moon. It is the light of the moon that he is in the home and he goes out, performs the chores and comes back. Yes. You're right, Valkya And further question. Astamide Astamide Chandramasi. When the sun also sets, and moon also sets, then what? Then what's the light that what is it that serves as a light to this person? Agnihi is the light of the fire. You know in the olden days they would have a torch, what they call a torch. And in that he would, he would sit in the home also in light of fire or go out, perform the chores, come back. That's right, Yanya. But he, Agni when the sun is set, the moon also is set, and the fire has become, is put off, because fire also can't be, can't last forever. So when the fire also has gone out, then what if that serves as a, light, as a light for this person? Then see, Agni says, the speech serves as a light of this person. Because even when there is pitch darkness, you cannot see anything. Then also, it is by the sound, speech means sound. It is by the sound that you know, somebody can say, Hey, Swamiji, come in this room, come along, go straight. It by the sound also, that I can go out, I can do things and come back. So that's right. But then, when the sun also has set, moon also has set, the fire is put off, and the sound also is not there. Referring to the state of dream. In the waking state, all these different luminaries are there. But then when this person is dreaming, at that time, this sun and the moon and the fire and even the speech also do not have an entry there. At that time, kim jyotaryam purusha, what is it that serves as a light for this person? Because in the dream also we find he, him doing all the various activities. So what enables him to perform the activities? What is the light that illumines him by which he performs all the activities in dream? Atmaya aste, palyate, karma hey janaka, it is by the light of the self. So that's called jyotir Brahman where it is revealed that in the dream also activities take place, what is it that eliminates all the activities? It is the self of the Atma. In fact, it's the Atma that eliminates all the activities, even the waking also. But in, as much as in the waking there are so many luminaries that it may not become very clear. Therefore, the illustration of the dream state when we know that these conventional luminaries do not have an entry into dream. Oh, but there is a sun there also in my dream. I saw the sun and there was a moon and there was fire. But there is not this local sun. That is sun projected by my mind but not the real sun and the moon. Who illumines the whole dream world? It is the night of the self that illumines the whole dream world. In that sense it is said. Then it is very clear that the sun in the dream is illumined by what? By the self. The moon in the dream also illumined by the self. The fire also illumined by the self. The speech also illumined by the self. That verse also will come subsequently. So these two verses Lord Krishna here gives us the sixth verse and then the eleventh verse. So, no, twelfth verse, sorry, Yadaditya Kadam, twelfth. Sixth and the twelfth. These two verses actually explain to us this mantra that we chant every day. Na tatra suryo na nema vidyato bhanti koto ya magnihi suryo bhati That the sun does not shine. That means the sun does not live in that. Na chandra nor the moon nor the, the stars Nema vidyato vabhandi, not these lightnings. Kutova nahi. how can the fire illumine that? So that part of the mantra is what is here sort of restated in different words, in the sixth verse. The second part of that mantra, Tameva bhantam Anubhati sarvam tasse bhasa sarvam vibhati. When that shines, everything shines after that, in the light of that. It is by the light of that that everything shines. So that part is explained by Lord Krishna in the 12th verse Yadaditya gadam And so, in short, what Lord Krishna means And we'll continue our discussion By this verse is that The Atma does not require the light of sun Does not require the light of moon Does not require the light of fire Does not require any light Because it is a light in itself Because of which everything shines It is self-revealing or self-shining But dhama, that's why the word dhama is explained there is a light. That is my light here, Arjuna, which doesn't require the sun or the moon or the fire or any luminous to illuminate because it is self-shining, self-revealing. We'll we'll continue that in the next class. Om Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhāśya vande Bhagavanta Upanapkuna Ishwaro Guru Rātmedhi Murti Bheda Vibhāgine vyoma Dehāya Dakshya Murthaye Namaha Om Shanthi 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 Hari Om Sri Guru Bhai Namaha Hari Om